Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This is episode 424. A strange thing happened since I did the last episode, 423. In that episode, I talked about the decline or the declining effect of the biblical counseling movement. And what I did not anticipate is that there were a group of integrationists on uh, Twitter who uh, somehow ran across that episode, and they began talking about it. And I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of tweets and interactions and responses to that episode. As a matter of fact, as I was doing this or getting the show notes together for this particular episode, they were still tweeting about it seven days and running. I'll talk more about that in just a moment, but I decided what I would do is I would do a part two to episode 423 of why I believe that the biblical counseling movement is declining, and I titled this one, this is episode 424 if you want to look at the show notes on our website, It's titled, A Few Integrationists Affirm My Point About Biblical Counseling's Decline. I want to talk about that with you in just a moment. Before I get into it, I I do want to draw attention to a few folks who have written in and have uh, expressed gratitude for what God is doing through this ministry, and so I want to share with you a note from Justin. He's a pastor in Springfield, Missouri. He said, recently, I gave Change Me, that's one of my books, he said, I gave it to a friend. She said it was the best book she had ever read on the subject of change on transformation. She also said it was the best counseling book she had ever read. It is a wonderful resource, and so I appreciate uh, Justin sending in that note about uh, the effect that God had on this lady through this book that I had written a few years ago. I'm very appreciative of that, and one of the reasons that I, I want to bring that to your attention is because that's what we do. We are a boots on the ground ministry. Uh, we work within local churches trying to help them to grow and mature uh, in the areas and practices of discipleship. And so Justin from Springfield, Missouri, thank you so much for sending that note. And then April said, I cannot say enough about this ministry. The podcast have helped me so much with a biblical understanding of how to navigate through circumstances, which have been new giants in my life with the ultimate goal of glorifying God. Practical self-examining, as my perspective is not always accurate, uh, April says, and faith building, growing, Job said to his wife, not verbatim should we only accept the good from God and not accept the bad like trials and tribulations. April finished by saying, I have real hope and peace through the tsunamis of my life. April, thank you so much for sending in that note. And then finally, Ed said, you all do great work and have been and and I have benefited uh, much from the content on your site and the generosity that you show by making it all free. Ed, thank you so much, and and thank you for acknowledging that, yes, we do give our resources away, and I do want to give you a brief update. As many of you know that we are we're in the legacy phase of our ministry because my desire is for uh, this ministry to continue on long after I live, and so we have been planning for 
for more than five years now transitioning this ministry from rickthomas.net to lifeovercoffee.com because that name is more accurate to uh, what I believe and what we practice, that we all can do life over coffee. Again, we are a boots-on-the-ground ministry, and my name means nothing. And, And the reason that I used my name in the beginning is because I was writing blog articles in my sphere of context here in South Carolina in our counseling ministry, and and I I wrote these articles supplementally to people that I was counseling so that I could connect with them outside of the office. And so it made sense to tie my name and the ministry together because it's the shortest distance between two points. But then as God began to bless our ministry and and it began to go out nationally and internationally, my name means nothing to anyone. And it actually doesn't identify or explain what we are about. And so therefore, I I, I began thinking about this, and it's like I I need to scrub the site of my name, not only for the reasons that I just stated, but also because we are a team ministry, and this ministry is not about me, and it doesn't seem right to have my name on it. And so we have begun this process, and we do have a date in mind. We do have a date in view. After all of these years of working and strategizing and raising the funds to build a new website, etc. And so at the end of September, God willing, we will be able to make that transition from rickthomas.net to lifeovercoffee.com. Now, again, I have no intentions of going anywhere. I hope to stay on for another 25 or 30 years, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's not about me. It's about God's work through this team, but also people who are supporting our ministry because as Ed said and in his notes, you're all doing a great work and I have benefited much from the content on your site and the generosity that you show by making it all free. Well, that generosity comes from the folks who support our ministry and so it is a partnership. We are a team ministry. It's not about me and I don't have a desire to be the front person, uh, but that's what it has been all these years, but we are making arrangements to change that and I do praise God for that. Now, what I want to do is do a part two to the podcast that I did last week, episode 423. And so this is 424, and I titled this, A Few Integrationists Affirm My Point About Biblical Counseling's Decline. Now, that's not their intent, of course, uh, and I'll explain that as we move along. But ironically, that podcast last week about the decline, as I perceive it, of the biblical counseling movement, it found affirmation in a most unusual place, and that is amongst a group of integrationists uh, on Twitter uh, who have been talking about it all week. And I found that uh, humorous in some sense, sad in many senses, and of course I found it quite ironic because I was not writing to integrationists who are adjacent to biblical counseling. And I use the word adjacent uh, intentionally because that's the word that was used on that long, 
multi-hundred Twitter thread that's out there now. Someone used the word adjacent, and I think that is an accurate description of an integrationist. An integrationist is not a biblical counselor. An integrationist is not part of the biblical counseling movement. They are adjacent to it. And so I wasn't writing to the integrationists who are adjacent to biblical counseling, but they took up my episode, and they ran it through their hermeneutic, and they began to game plan about bringing more innovation to their integrationist movement, not the biblical counseling movement. And I thought that was really weird. I'm not writing to you. Uh, it's, it's like a, a conservative writing about conservative ideas, and a group of wokesters uh, read that and say, hey, there's some ideas. Let's take it and run with it and, and make our movement greater. I'm not writing to you, integrationist. And they are talking about having symposiums. Uh, they're talking about creating a, a, an entire new journal of academic uh, discussion and philosophy uh, to talk about an integrationist hermeneutic and biblical counseling. They're looking to have a meeting to discuss some of the points uh, that I made in that episode, that meeting tentatively they're looking at in Southern California. And it just it just took a life all of its own, and I wasn't writing to them. And so part of that was humorous, definitely ironic, but also sad because I, I in, in one sense, I don't care what they do, uh, but I really I do have concerns for the biblical counseling movement. And so I thought that uh, it would be helpful if I clarified a few things. And so let me give you the purpose of what I'm doing here in episode 424. And I do want to make some clarifications because there was misunderstanding. Now, I recognize that some of the misunderstanding came because they actually did not listen to the podcast or watch the video that I produced. In fact, it, it was so apparent that... Uh, Matt Huerta, a gentleman that I happen to know, went on the Twitter thread and he asked, have you even listened to the podcast or watched the, the, the video? Now, several of them came back and said that they did listen and they did watch. But I also noticed that at that point, and you'll see this in the Twitter thread if you were to read through those hundreds of, of tweets, that the conversation did change because the conversation became more contextualized with my actual points. But prior to that, uh, it was apparent that they were missing the point of what I was saying. So I thought, I'm just going to do a part two and try to be clear. And so when I speak of the biblical counseling movement, I am not talking about an integrationist hermeneutic nor do I believe in what the integrationist is doing. I consider integrationistic ideas harmful to the actual biblical counseling movement and those who practice integrationistic ideas, in my opinion, that they are hurting souls who are looking for help. Now, now here's the line in the sand, and I'm trying to be very clear here because you're going to have to draw this line in the sand. Every Christian, you and me, there is a call to action here. We have to decide where we stand on these matters. Now, in, in, in 
three big general buckets. There, there's a secularist view of psychology, the study of the soul. There is an integrationist view of psychology, the study of the soul. And there is a biblical view. And the integrationist is adjacent to the biblical view. There is some uh, overlap, and I do recognize that, but that's what makes it so uh, confusing for many people because uh, in the photography world, we call that 18% gray, where it is neither black nor white. And if you don't have the discernment or the training, you can read these ideas from an integrationist perspective, and they can make sense to you. And, and they can be compelling, uh, but ultimately, once you move down that road, you're moving off center. Uh, you're moving from a sufficiency of Scripture worldview to something, as they say, again, using their word, it is adjacent to the Biblicist view. It is adding to uh, what the Bible teaches. And so when I talk about biblical counseling uh, going in decline and a lack of sophistication and innovation, which I will speak to in just a moment, they went up in arms and said, no, that is not true. There is a lot of innovation and and sophistication within the biblical counseling movement. But, but, but what they did is they, they are annexing they're taking biblical counseling, and they are incorporating. It's like eminent domain uh, where you just take over new territories. And so they have expanded what biblical counseling means, and that's where you get an integrationist view because now you are bringing in secular ideas, and it's this uh, mix-mash of algamated, assimilated views of secularist thought biblical thought, and again, that's an integrationist view. Now, let me make a few caveats as I continue on in this, and it's important for you to understand that I'm a third rail guy. I am not someone that's enmeshed in the biblical counseling movement. I am part of it, obviously. That is my training. That's what I've been doing for a very long time, Uh, but as I said in the past last podcast is that uh, I the word discipleship is my preferred word. I have been doing historical discipleship all of my Christian life. The reason that I moved into biblical counseling through a series of circumstances, it was right. Uh, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that I went to the Master's University. I'm glad to be associated with the ACBC uh, as far as a uh, an organization that uh, supports biblical counseling but I'm still a third rail guy. I am more interested in discipleship from a historical church history perspective than our current counseling movement parenthetical. This parenthetical of biblical counseling started circa 1970 with Jay's book, Jay Adams's book, Competent to Counseling. I'm not throwing shade on this parenthetical, but I'm saying that that. I am not enmeshed in it as though 1970 was the start of 
of biblical counseling. It has always been with us since the writing of the New Testament, and so that is my macro view, and so that makes me a a third-rail guy rather than inside of what I believe sometimes is an echo chamber of, of people who do believe that discipleship began in 1970 with, they might not believe it intellectually because some of the things that the biblical counseling movement has brought to us, some of the things that they are doing currently, but I also have not refrained from talking about the negative aspects of biblical counseling. And the reason that I do that is because I care about the church, I care about discipleship, and I care about hurting souls. I won't go deep into this story. I can talk about it at another time. But when my wife left me on April the 8th, 1988, it was the church who brought no help to me. And when I went to the associate pastor of that church and explained that it's been more than a year and I've received virtually no help and care from the church, there's no navigation out of this, he said to me, me that you have not broken your arm. If you had broken your arm, we would know what to do with you, but because of what you're going through, we don't know what to do with you. And that was a huge moment in my Christian experience. And I do not say that to shame the church. I do not say that with any uh, sinful attitude or I have... I, I, Actually, I respected him for saying that because he had enough integrity to say, I don't know what to do. And that was a moment that God used in my life to give me a burden for hurting souls and how to overcome these issues that we find ourselves in through God's word. And so I'm not so much interested in the biblical counseling parenthetical. I'm a third rail guy. But I deeply care about the church, discipleship, and hurting souls. Now, it's not lost on me that the BC movement is microscopic within Christendom. And I think that's important to say aloud. And we are even more microscopic within the culture at large. You know, the FBI just raided uh, Mar-a-Lago, you know, I mean, there are big things that are happening in our world. We just came through a, a pandemic. And then there's the biblical counseling movement. I mean, we are a, a, a tick on a, on a um, we are a, a, a bump on a, on a well, okay? Uh, we, we're just a very a small speck in the greater scheme of things. And so that's not lost on me. It, it, sometimes you can be so ensconced in what you do that you think it is, it is everything and more, but really it's not. But even with that said, there is cause and effect, and that's why I do speak positively and negatively about the biblical counseling movement, and that's why I did that episode last week of why I believe it's on the decline. Now, let me give you a few clarifications about that episode. My friend Daniel Berger asked me, he said, Rick, what was your end game?" 
And, and he was asking the question in response to all of these integrationists who, who took up the argument on Twitter and ran with it. Now, I told Daniel, I mean, I answered that question in the episode. The end game, I was quite clear in the episode, and you can listen to it if you want. It's linked in the show notes here of episode 424. But what I said, paraphrase, there are two poles when thinking about the biblical counseling movement. On one pole, there are those who believe we can do no wrong. And then on the other pole, there are those who believe we can do no right. Those are extreme views, of course. And I am on neither pole, but I am in that great middle expanse where we need to talk about what's right with us and what is wrong with us, which that episode explored. And so I gave four reasons why I believe that the biblical counseling movement has plateaued or is in decline. As I said, I believe it's past its prime, that it was a great parenthetical. But if we don't think about and make some uh, big moves and decisions, it will continue to move past its past its prime. And that's why I'm doing these two uh, doing these two episodes. And that was the irony is that the integrationists want to keep their movement alive. And so they started game planning and they're going to do symposiums and they're going to, you know, maybe have a meeting in SoCal and they want to come up with a journal, an academic journal on an integrationist view of biblical counseling. But I was not writing to integrationists because they are not part of the biblical counseling movement, and this is where I want to be clear. They are adjacent, recognizing that there is overlap, recognizing that there is this murky 18% gray that we all are going to have to come to terms with and draw very clear lines, which I hope that this podcast will will do. I was surprised as anyone (laughs) that they considered critiquing a movement that they are not part of. And that they are bringing damage to. And so, you know, with Daniel, I said, hey, man, I said, it surprised me, too, because I wasn't even writing to those people. But secondly, part of my critique of the biblical counseling movement is, as I said, that there is little innovation within the biblical counseling movement, that most of the books and, and the resources is a rehash of the same old concepts lacking sophistication and complexity, I said. Now, this comment was the most triggering, I think, of all. And I I want to give you five responses, five points of clarity to what I meant uh, about a lack of sophistication and complexity within the biblical counseling movement. The first one is I I stand by it. I read the books. I've read the books. And and it's it's just rehash. But I also said in that episode which apparently people didn't hear. And that's why uh, I think Matt Huerta was saying, did you even listen to the episode? Did you watch the video? Point number two, because I said it was not an absolute statement, and I was careful to explain that. And so number one, I stand by the comments, still do. Number two, it was not an absolute statement because I very rarely make absolute statements because that's a dangerous territory when you become all-inclusive about whatever your opinion is. And so I didn't do that. And you can listen and, and you'll hear that. I said that there are exceptions. But number three, uh, a point of 
clarity. The integrationists, they argued from their worldview and their writings. They were saying, oh, no, there are many sophisticated books and innovative books. And, you know, Bob Kellerman, an integrationist, was talking about, no, I, I did this. And then somebody else said, well, I, I, I did this. And I, I got a book on abuse. And I got a book on AD. Hey, you're integrationist. I, weren't, I wasn't talking to you or about you. Now, I will ad- ad- admit uh, uh, Jeremy Lalick, for example, with ABC, uh, has a, a, a treatise on uh, integrationism and is sophisticated and innovative. But that's from their movement. It's not from ours. And it's unfortunate that biblical counseling, uh, for the most part, biblical counselors do not, maybe they don't have the IQ, maybe they don't have the writing acumen, maybe they don't have the depth of training, but we, we do not do that well, okay? Uh, and so when the integrationists were arguing, well, that's not a true statement, we are innovative and sophisticated, and then they brought... Uh, their resources to prove their point as exhibit A, B, C, and D. It said, no, your resources don't count because you're integrationist, and I'm not talking to you, as I've said repeatedly. And then the funniest response is tied to that. They did trot out their works as proof that there is innovation and sophistication. Now, I, I did find that a little bit hilarious. There were several people. There were a lot of people that, that did this, by the way. You know, it's like saying, hey, you say that there are no great fathers. I am a great father. Let me tell you how great I am. You say that there are no sophisticated books. There's no innovation within the movement. Let me tell you how great my book is. Now, uh, I did might have laughed out loud when people started trotting out their own wares to prove how wonderful uh, they are and how sophisticated they are, to which I say, let another person praise you rather than you triggering yourself with self-congratulatory rebuttals. Now, I want to give you five examples of what, because I did not do this, I want to give you five examples of what I believe is sophisticated and innovative writing. Uh, Two of those examples are from the biblical counseling movement, and three of them are from the culture. And if you take the time to read these things that I'm presenting to you, then it will really help you to get a good frame of reference of what I'm talking about as far as complexity and sophistication. Now, two of those examples from uh, biblical counseling are, and I I mentioned earlier my my friend Daniel Berger. I've read a lot of his writings on mental health and ADHD. I've also done conferences with him, and and he has done a great job in pushing forward and thinking about the soul, about psychology, about the DSMs, 4-5 four, five, uh, four, five, and the, the new adjacent one, uh, and uh, and much more. And, and so he is writing in a niche uh, that I think is needed, and I've given a good bit of thought about adding some of his books to our Mastermind program because it's niche writing in an area that's pushing us forward in our thinking. And I have a link here in the show notes. If you if you haven't read some of his books, I think you will find them very uh, helpful. And then also another one is I listened to a podcast from ACBC a while, a while ago where uh, Dale Johnson was interviewing uh, Rand Cherry on the Enneagram, and I thought it was well done. 
there was a lot of research and there was a lot of information that was brought to bear, and it's an important discussion that we all have. Now, again, those are just two illustrations, and don't bring your own. I mean, you can brag on other people, but let another person praise you. And there are others, but again, it wasn't an absolute statement, but as a general rule, a lot of the stuff that's produced, uh, it lacks sophistication, lacks complexity, lacks depth, and it's really not pushing us forward. It's more of a rehash. And then there are three books that are out there, and there's many more. There's a zillion more uh, that aren't about biblical counseling per se, but it gives you an idea of what I'm thinking about as far as provocative literature that does have that level of complexity and sophistication. One of those is Carl Truman's book, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Uh, That is a worldview-breaking, worldview-shaping book. Uh, It is an excellent book, and I highly recommend it. There's another book by uh, a gentleman named Anthony Insulin. Uh, His book, No Apologies, Why Civilization Depends on the Strength of Men. It is an outstanding uh, book. I believe Anthony is uh, Catholic, uh, but nevertheless, this book on masculinity, uh, it is a tremendous book, uh, thought-provocative, but that's the kind of treatment that I'm talking about that we in the biblical counseling movement are sorely lacking. And then a fifth uh, illustration, the third one from culture, but this is from Christianity, but not biblical counseling, and that is Nancy Piercy's forthcoming book on toxic masculinity. Hopefully it'll be out in 2023. I was asked to review that book, which I did, and so I read it in the spring of this year, and it was another worldview-shaping, worldview-breaking book on masculinity. I haven't stopped thinking about it uh, since I read it. In fact, I was sharing with a family last night, uh, just last night, uh, about that book, and I think about it a lot. But it is rare to find biblical counselors writing on these levels with innovative thought and interwoven complexity that provokes the reader to stop, to think, to reflect, and to tell someone else about what they are reading. At best, our readings, gender responses like, hey man, that's good stuff, or that was a good reminder. We are writing great reminders all the time as we move on to the next thing. But there's very few writers who can stop you in your tracks, provoke you to think, move you on to reflection, and motivate you to tell someone else because of what they have written. And I've given you five illustrations of what I mean uh, What I mean by that. Now, it's time for us. Uh, this is my call uh, for every Christian. It's time for courage. It is time for us to have courage. That's why I'm trying to be as clear as possible. Everyone who thinks about these things, discipleship, Everyone that cares and desires to bring purer discipleship to the church, you got to land the plane on this matter. Not only land the plane, but you got to have courage to take a stand, to take a stand with, with compassion, with conviction. We don't have to be unkind to anyone. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be unkind, uh, but I'm not going to hold back because, as I said, this this is this is my life. This is important to me. The church, 
discipleship, the care of souls, from the purity, the sufficiency of God's word. Now, the upside of all of these integrationists uh, on Twitter that took up this episode and started discussing it is that uh, we do have a partial list of who some of these people are. I mean, their names are are out there. Uh, and I know one of now one of them did come back and say, I, I heard this, that uh, he said, hey, I'm not really part of that camp that I'm talking to on Twitter. I just associate with them, hoping to influence them. But I just want to say to you, young man, that your perspective is unwise, it's immature, It will not work because their commitment to their cause is as dogmatic as I am to biblical discipleship. But press on, my friend. Let's see what happens as you associate. But I trust that your association is not because you lack courage, not because you are afraid, or not because you are tied to you're tied to something that you can be canceled, and being canceled is more important to you than being true to your convictions. One of the advantages that I have, and I recognize this being a third rail guy, is that if ACBC wanted to take my fellowship, quite frankly, I don't care. If they wanted it, and if it was, if, if they, if it was legal to take it, and however that works, they can have it. I, I don't care. I, I want to be part of ACBC. I appreciate what ACBC is doing, but they can't cancel me. They can't. There's no threat that, that they can make or anyone else can make because I'm on a third rail. And, and so we don't have our revenue uh, tied to selling certifications like ACBC and these other organizations do. You, you see, the more you link yourself to associations and entities, the less freedom that you have. And that becomes a thing. It is a thing in our culture today. Professors in universities, I mean, they're, they're looking at tenure, and they, they can lose their tenure. They have. And, and other people like Brett and Heather, or Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hyen, uh, that they lost their tenure at Evergreen University. And, and there's nurses because they won't take uh, the, the vax uh, that, that have lost their jobs. And I understand there's complexity in what I'm saying, but that's not the point. What I'm saying here is that when you put yourself in a position to where being canceled from whatever is important to you, then you will start making compromises. We lose our freedom to m- the more that we subjugate ourselves to different individuals or organizations. And when it comes to biblical counseling, I'm not subjugated. And so I can speak clearly, and I do recognize that. But I do wonder how many people are afraid because they want to get the book deal. They want to get the speaking engagement. They don't want to be out on the outs with this coalition or that organization. Now, there could be some selfish ambition tied in that, too, that they need, they have to address. And so the young man who says, I associate with them, I hope your motives are pure, and, uh, but I do want you to realize that they are, they're convicted about what they believe as I am with what I believe. Now, some of those integrationists that were on Twitter that were having this conversation were Bob Kellerman, Brad Hambrick, Jeremy Pierre, uh, Jason Kovacs, Nate Brooks, and there were others that I've not heard of and others that I do not know. But it's important for you, excuse me, 
It's important for you to learn the names and know who your friends are and who the people are. Some of the integrated organizations represented or supported. CCF, CCEF is an integrated organization. So is ABC. So is IBCD. So is the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And there's many more. There's a few other integrationists like Chris Moles and Darby Strickland. And though they were not part of that thread, they are committed to an integrationist view to our community on in our ministry our private community I did a 5 hour oral video review of Chris Moses's book on domestic abuse it's a terrible book uh, but it's a book that's popularized within integrationist uh, circles. And you need to be able to read these books and read this literature. People send me these books and these documents all the time, and I read some of them. I just finished one from CCF by Darby Strickland on trauma-informed, in, uh, trauma-informed care. It's an integrated treatment of soul care that is inferior to biblical counseling. And so please understand that when I mention these names that I contribute no ill motive to these people. I do not question their sincerity because I do not know their hearts and I would be a fool to make those assumptions and speak accordingly. With that said, though, their views are harmful. And it's time that biblical counselors, not integrationists, not people who are adjacent, but biblical counselors stand with courage and compassion. One of my profs, Wayne Mack, as I've said often, the number one thing I remember him saying in my MABC program is that Christian counseling is neither Christian nor counseling if it is done without tears, but with courage and compassion. We have to stand up when speaking against integrated teaching that has infiltrated our churches and brought insufficient care to the body of Christ. This is episode 424. A few integrationists affirm my point about BC biblical counseling's decline by saying, yes, it has declined. And here, take what we have. Ours is better. Ours is innovative. Ours is sophisticated. And we're going to game plan and we're going to have symposiums and we're going to create journals and we're just going to keep pushing forward with our integrated doctrines and practices. Here's a few questions I want to wrap up with. Question number one, are you a biblicist, an integrationist, or a secularist when it comes to psychology, the study of the soul? That's a close-ended question, yes or no. Are you a biblicist? Are you an 18% gray person, integrationist? Are you a secularist when it comes to psychology, as I define the study of the soul? Number two, do you know the differences between these three disciplines, and can you defend your position? If you can't, that's fine, but you want to grow. You want to grow. Fealty to God's Word is the most important thing that we can do. I mean, knowing God, we can only know Him through His Word, and so loyalty Fidelity, filthy to God's word is absolutely critical. Without being anal about it, without being mean-spirited about it, we can be compassionate, 
but we have to grow in the purity of God's Word. Number three, do you have the courage, the wisdom, and the grace to stand for the fidelity of God's Word? And if you don't, what must you do to change? Number four, how committed are you to growing in the study of the soul? biblical psychology, and bringing biblical practical care to those looking for answers. Number five, in what ways will you seek to mature in your discipleship practices? Some of you know that we have an online school, our mastermind uh, program, where we uh, address three big areas, theology, practical theology, which is psychology, and then the application. And we, 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 we cover four, I mean, five areas, uh, a person's character, uh, their capacity, uh, their competence, uh, their courage, and their compassion. And so theology, practical theology, application, and then as we assess the student in these five areas, as our mastermind program, as we try to teach people to move from classical knowledge, what we learn in academia, to original knowledge, to where we can take this learning in academia and we can use it in an original, customized way to the person that is sitting in front of you, pneumatic walking in the Spirit from a sufficiency of Scripture worldview so you can bring a purer care to the souls of people. If you want to talk to us about any of this, we're easy to reach. You can find us right now at rickthomas.net. Within a couple of months, we'll be at lifeovercoffee.com, and so we're easy to reach. We're a 24-7 shop. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out to hear what I have to say about something that I think is just incredibly uh, important to all, every Christian. May God bless you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.